Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. The first thing I have to tell you is I hate the devil. I hate our enemy. I hate our enemy so much. And, and I've watched our enemy attack people that I know, family members, people that don't yet know God, and hurt them and take them down. And, and, and cause a lot of problems. I see the effects. You see it every single day. People you work with, family members that you know, are affected by what the enemy has taught us and what the enemy has done in our society. And I hate the devil. I hate him so much. And so many times when I teach and I preach, I talk about as, as God provides me and gives me and through the wisdom of ministers and pastors I've, I've served uh, over the years and talked with over the years, weapons and tools to fight the devil, to fight the enemy. Because it's not a hopeless fight. And we can't just sit back and say, well, we know, you know, I I look back at the back here and we win. Okay, that's great. That's a good message. But it's not really that simple because some people don't win. And it's not all that perfect. And it, and it, it is much more challenging. But it's not even so much about defeating the devil and surviving. Well, what about defeating the devil and being really, really victorious? really, really getting something from God that God's got for us to do. How many of us sit back and think we're not capable? Well, God's not going to use me for that. Or we underthink ourselves or undersell ourselves. You know, in the business world, it's been a long since known message that when immigrants come to the United States from third world countries and second world countries and places where there's no opportunity, they come here, they hear about the United States of America, America, land of opportunity. They're going to be successful. They're going to be millionaires. You know, these immigrants come with nothing, zero, zilch, and they know this is the land of opportunity. And so in their minds, there's nothing they can't do if they arrive here in the United States and they just work hard and do it. But see, in our own culture, I think the enemy has taught us that there's almost nothing we can do. We're just subject to whatever God's got for us. A few rise to the top and are successful and and, and work hard and do good things. But for the most part, he tries to tell us, and society tries to tell us, well, that's not for us. I'll never be that rich guy or that important person or, or whatever the case may be. So in terms of the, the topic of fasting and prayer, and, and hopefully those of you that have participated over the last few weeks have actually been experiencing and seeing God work in your lives now. I can tell you, I've been sharing with Pastor Kylie, and he and I talk, obviously, I'm here every day. And I, I said that in, in, in this year, of dedication to fasting and prayer, I have seen, personally seen and watched God work right in front of my face, put prayers out there, put, have issues come along, and watched God actually make things happen right before my eyes, like never before. I've had, I mean, for years, I've seen God answer prayer, and I've seen good things. I've seen miracles. I've seen, my son was almost, was almost dead at birth, and God saved him and brought him back, and he's perfectly healthy. I, I've seen it all. But never before like this year, with this group, with this church, with the dedication that you have and, and the focus we've had on prayer, Sister Dretzka and Sister Corrine and their group praying in here and the men's prayer and the family prayer and, and the ladies joining together, it, I just haven't seen it. Now, maybe I'm overzealous and I'm overexcited, but I, I'm just telling you, I've watched God just turn situations right around. So I want to talk to you tonight. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want to talk to you tonight just for a couple of minutes, and I'll, I'll try to be timely, about the power of humility and sacrifice 
in fasting and prayer. Humility and sacrifice are really what, prayer, what fasting is truly about. But the good news is it is a tremendously powerful weapon against the enemy. Very powerful weapon. And you've heard me say before, I've taught it before in lessons, that humility is, is unassailable. The devil can't do anything to a person who's on their knees with their face buried in their hands at an altar of repentance and prayer. Because your eyes are closed, focused on God. You can't see what the devil wants you to see. You can't see distraction, the things that you're not supposed to see. And your ears are listening for God's word and what he's got for you. So you can't hear the negativity and you can't hear the bad things that the enemy wants you to hear. And your feet are underneath you and your knees are on the ground secured. So you can't walk to and go to the places that he wants you to go to be hurt or offended or, or, or to, to make mistakes. It's completely unassailable, the ultimate humility on your knees in prayer, talking to God. And fasting is very similar to that. You know that when you're in the fasting process, and, and I'm certainly going to ask who is and who isn't, you know, this doesn't matter, but when you're in the fasting process, and notice I say when. Jesus never said, if you, pray, if you fast and pray. He said, when you fast. When you fast. But when you fast and you begin to feel those hunger pains, whether it's a craving or you're just really, really hungry, that is your call to prayer. Did you know that? Your hunger pains are your call to prayer. It's there for a reason. It's a purpose. And in the fasting process, if you use the hunger pain, the hunger that you feel is say, oh boy, I am really, I could really use a steak right now. Sorry for anybody who's in the process like me right now, but <laughs> I have been thinking about steak for, it's so, I'm so carnal. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> That's when I pray, see? Seriously though, when you start to feel that prayer or, or that, that hunger or that hunger pain, that's your call. Find some place quickly, even just for a moment. Even if you're driving home from work and you're going, man, I'm hungry, I want something. So stop and pray right there. Psalm chapter 35 and 13 says, I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned into my own bosom. Bosom, excuse me. And what the psalmist was saying there when he said the prayer returned into my own bosom, he said, my prayers are being answered. I put the prayers out and I was getting, I was getting blessed from God. So why are we called to fast? Why is this a big deal in the first place? So what we have to eat in order to function and be human beings, right? To survive. Why fasting? Why food? And so I looked, as I, as I began my study, of course, I've, I've been around for a while in the church and I understood this, but I, wanted, I, I found some new things and, and God was just kind of opening up a couple of different ideas. First of all, we're constantly at war with the flesh. And we're constantly at war with serving the flesh back and forth between spirit and flesh. It's never going to change until you die. You're always going to have that battle. But serving the flesh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but serving the flesh, constantly just worrying about what you're going to eat and where you're going to, you know, being comfortable and you know, enjoying this and enjoying that and throwing back your easy chair, all of those things are not necessarily bad or terrible, but they do this. They dull the spiritual senses. That's just how it works. If you're going to feed this part, this part's going to starve a little bit, right? It's, it, it's, it's impossible for the two to come together. I'm sorry, but you can't sit down at a big old giant meal at Applebee's with ribs and, and, and French fries and a big Coke and be spiritual and be in prayer and talking to God while you're and slogging down some, some barbecue ribs, right? You're, it just, two just don't go together. So if you're feeding one, you're kind of starving the other. 
right? And so just as we become tired and sleepy and sort of groggy after a big meal, you know, a big Sunday lunch, we go pull into the, to the easy chair, turn on the Packer game, doze off during the boring parts. And it's the same way spiritually. We become dull and sleepy in the spirit. And, and we're starving our prayer time while we're indulging the flesh. So fasting and prayer really brings us a new awareness, uh, an awareness or an alertness to what God has. Because when we fast and we pray, now we're starving this part. And this part is getting fed. And it's enriching us. See, now the next time you pray, now this is my hope this, for this message that God gave me. This is my hope. My hope is that the next time you fast or decide to fast, or if you haven't before because it's never, you know, you say, well, it's not really for me. I don't, I don't really go without meals much. The next time you do, or if you're encouraged to fast, think of these things. It'll embolden you, and it'll strengthen you to continue on. When you're feeling weak, and you're like, oh, why am I doing this? And you spend all your time. I remember the first couple of times I really fasted when I was a young person. When I, I went to Christian school when I was coming up, and we had regular fasts as part of our program. And I did it because we were told to do it. And the whole time you're fasting, you're thinking about food, right? And it's funny because when you get really full and you eat a whole lot, you don't go, oh, I wish I was fasting right now. You just go, oh, I'm really full, right? It doesn't work backwards the other way. So it, it never really occurred to me as a young man just what it really, truly, honestly meant. It's a sacrifice, and you pray, and God hears you, and it brings you closer. But just think of some of these things. Your hunger pains are your, are your, are your signal to talk to the Lord when you start to feel hungry. And think of it in terms of you're starving the flesh. Everybody's got the basics on that, right? Flesh bad, spirit good. Okay. So I thought about this, and I thought about blind people. And I'm not mocking anybody. I'm not, I'm not making fun. I'm, just, I'm saying blind people. It's been said for years that people that are blind or they lose one of their senses, um, their other senses are heightened, right? You ever hear that? You know, blind person, it's said that they are just so much more heightened in their hearing because they don't have the distraction. How many people have ever heard the thing, your, your eyes will play tricks on you, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi said that. You know, your eyes play tricks on you. Don't trust them. He was right. So Luke put the shield down. I'm so carnal today. It's the fasting. I got to work. It's a battle. Anyway, our eyes play tricks on us. But we, if we're not distracted here, then obviously hearing is going to be enhanced because that's another sense for guiding that person. Because obviously it's, it wouldn't make much sense if we lost our sight and suddenly we could taste more. You know, that's not, that's not the sense that gets, that gets fixed. You see, it's not a touch. You know, suddenly I can feel things better. No, our, our hearing picks up according and that's what they say now I don't believe necessarily that a blind person has some actual scientific increase or heightening in their actual ear capability or whatever that medical term would be but what I do believe is is that because they're not distracted by the eyesight because they're not being tricked or not biasing themselves by what they see they hear they hear better you know you can have a conversation with someone and you can hear hear what they're saying, you can hear their voice and hear them talking and not know a word they say when you walk away. So there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? And that's what I'm talking about here. So <clears throat> they say they can hear much better than the average person. The scientific likelihood is not that they would have a physical capability increase, but simply that they're focusing more. So fasting in a spiritual sense is really the same. God designed the spiritual aspect of our human experience to behave in such a way that when we fast and we take away the act of gratifying our flesh, 
our sense of spiritual heightens as well. So we lose the distraction of the flesh. So you say, well, why do I need my, so what about spiritual, what does that mean? I, I can feel the presence of God when I come to church. It's a whole different ballgame. You want God to speak to you? You want to hear God's voice? Oh, it's so frustrating when you hear people, oh, God spoke to me this morning, and, say, and you go, I remember that when I was younger. I was like, why, why doesn't God talk to me? I never hear his voice. But you do the right things and dedicate yourself the right way and stop the distraction, blind the flesh, and let this pick up spiritually, and you'll start to hear God more, and you'll start to hear God speak to you. When we hunger and thirst and draw closer to his presence, his glory, his work, his majesty, and his grace are magnified. Just like the blind man who hears so much more. Why? Because he's concentrating on what he's listening to. I know Brother Kylie talked this week about, and I've, I've heard him say a couple different ways, and I think it's fantastic. I never thought of it this way before, but when we fast and pray, whether it's us individually or the church together, it's amazing, especially this year, we've, we've talked about it, we've seen it in our own experiences, and have heard from other people, that it, it just seems that that process, I used to think of fasting as just, you fast and you sacrifice, and then God can give you stuff and do miracles. Mm. There's a, there's a start to that process. When we fast and we pray, it seems, as I've learned, that God brings, the, it's a purification process, so things come to the surface. At the beginning of this process, there was some ugly stuff that popped up, some challenging things that came through, not just, just me, but a couple of people I knew, and I know Pastor had to deal with a couple of challenges, just nothing, nothing major, but health, there were health issues here, and there were some other things that came up, and we said, wow. This stuff is really coming out. And we realize it's part of that process. You know, you're going down life's dusty road every day, working out there with, with every element of whatever the, the world offers, and all that dust and crud and dirt and everything, it's going to get on you. And sometimes it gets in you. So the process brings that stuff back out. He talked about at prayer on Monday night that... The earth's streams and rivers have this process. I didn't know this. I thought it was fascinating. The earth's streams have this process and rivers where over a course of time in a cycle, they, they sort of flush the bottom out. It sort of cycles up and all that junk and gunk and stuff that has gone down to the bottom of the stream comes to the surface and it, it washes away with, with the currents. And it's a way that a stream or a river can clean itself over time. Man, God is amazing. <laughs> we think we can do stuff to, to nature global warming. God's got it all in control. He, he's, he designed it the right way. Never forget that. So, so here's the challenge. Looking, I was looking at Job. Now in Job 32, 33, 34, 35, those chapters in there, if you've ever read Job, it's not a, it's not a quick little read. It's, it's pretty in-depth. But Job started out the right way in his challenges. We all know what, what happened with Job. The devil came and wanted to tempt him and talk to God and, and, and or talk to God about how it man fails and all that stuff. And, and God said, well, consider my servant Job. And of course, then you know all the things that happened. Job lost everything. And he started out okay. He had the right attitude, uh, but he became self-righteous and prideful in that process. He started to realize, well, look how good I was. And I was a man of prayer and I was wonderful. And um, he was actually prideful about his humility. <laughs> and if you've ever heard the old joke, you hear the joke about the guy who won an award for being humble and he wore it, so they took it away. So it's, 
That's kind of Job. <laughs> so in the presence of Job amongst his friends, there was a young man named Elihu. Now, Elihu doesn't say, the Bible doesn't give us a whole background on Elihu, except that he was a young man. And so you know that generationally speaking, youth group, there was this young man that was watching these old guys sit there, Job and his friends. And he's listening to Job and his self-righteousness. And if you read through, I won't, I won't go through all those, those chapters, it's quite long. But if you read through there and you, and you see what Elihu is saying, he's more or less very disappointed and disillusioned in the older people that are over him. Because they're the guides, they're the people that lead, they're the ones that set the mark for them. But Elihu recognizes that this isn't right, that he's not accounting for God. He's not, Job is taking all the credit on himself for what a good man he was, right? And so he starts, he, he really starts almost chastising Job. And, and this is why it's so critical that we consider the generations that are coming up behind us uh, in the example that we set for them and something we talk about all the time in, in youth leadership. And we've got a great group of youth over here. Look how many of them that are here tonight. Some are working, I think, back with, with a Power Hour. But the way we lead them and show them godly principles is so critical. For example... <clears throat> How many of you in this room, just an open question, you can raise your hand. How many of you in this room have ever, in your, at some point in conversation with someone else, railed about the fact that there is no prayer in schools? Be honest. Anybody talk about that? No prayer in schools, no Bible in schools, no God in schools. How about when there's a school tragedy? Did you ever have that thought go through your head? Well, if they allowed prayer there, right? We've all done it. Well, you know, there's Bible, and there's prayer, and there's God in our Sunday school department. How about family prayer? And yet some of us won't make the effort to get out of bed on a Sunday morning to get the young people to the school that does have Bible and prayer and the word. All present company accepted. Because you're here tonight and you're obviously dedicated and I appreciate that. But think about that for a second. We've all done it. We've heard it. We've heard it on the radio. Oh, they took prayer out of schools. And yet the example we set for our young people is some sleep in on Sunday morning. I'd like to go talk to the folks over here. You know, because you're here at church and God's here. I felt this. Anybody feel his presence? And I'd like to go over and talk to, to the folks over here. They're at home praying and fasting and say, you know, Jesus is here and there's worship and there's prayer going on and it's really exciting. Anything can happen when Jesus is present, right? Just ask all those folks over there. Some people have to work. There's other commitments. I understand. You know, Jesus is here. The service is here tonight. There's lots of stuff going on. Do you think it escapes the young people when they come to youth night service and there's not a lot of folks in those wings that are here on Sunday? Brother Cordell has to answer for that in, in our classes. You know, I'm just saying. So, along with heightened spiritual awareness and all the good things that God can do that perhaps maybe there's commitment 
and a realization of a higher call and, and a higher commitment to the things that we need to do for God. So when Elihu was finished talking to Job, Job was completely silent, as the folks over here are right now, undoubtedly thinking about what young Elihu said and, and, and feeling ashamed, I'm sure. And then God spoke to Job directly, and if you read in chapters 38 through 41, again, it goes on for quite a ways, God rebukes Job, and he gives him a real refresher on exactly who he is, on his majesty and his greatness. You can imagine that was quite a chastising for Job to take from God. So eventually Job realized that the foolishness of his words and his pride were terrible before God. And Job literally says, behold, I am vile. (laughs) That's really a strong word. I mean, he didn't just say, well, I didn't do very good. Job said, behold, I'm vile. He went on to repent deeply to God. And of course, you know the rest of the story that God wrought many miracles in his life and restored Job to even greater than what he was before. And so an example of God's mercy and grace. So how do we humble ourselves so that we can see God's glory in our lives and see the things happen like we see from, from, uh, from Scripture, how we see victory and we see loved ones saved and we see the sick healed? We do exactly what Jesus did. We fast and we pray. And again, as I said earlier in the beginning, Jesus never said, if you fast, here's an idea, here's a suggestion for you. He said, when you fast. Our two greatest enemies, as I mentioned before, are the flesh and the devil. And both are completely weakened by fast and prayer. You can beat the devil up. You can take him out of a situation through fasting and prayer. Now, does it happen instantly just like that? One day you decide, well, I'm not going to have my burger for lunch today, so God, here it is, and, and you pray, and all of a sudden, all of your family gets saved? Probably not. I think this is a lifestyle that God is calling us to. It's a commitment that God's calling us to in every day in our walk. And then we begin to see God work. Let's give him what he needs and what he wants and what he asks for. Let's bless him with what he's looking for from us before we look up and say, okay, God, where's the results? I made this. This is what Job was doing. Before I get these results, I'm just going to give it to God. And if God never saves one of my friends or never heals one of my family members or does anything, I'm okay with that. Because Jesus Christ died on Calvary for my sins to save my soul. And thank God I'm standing here tonight because one lady had the, the, the gumption and the drive and the dedication, Sister Runs, to reach out to my family and say, I'd like to take you to church and I'd like to introduce you to Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens, I'm gonna follow that call to Jesus. But I believe when we do, when we fully commit, as I've seen already this year, again, this year, God just changed things right before me. It can happen, but we gotta make the commitment first. Your spirit is made stronger while your flesh is made weaker. If your flesh wins out in your life all the time because it's stronger than your will, it's time to stop feeding it so it's not so strong. When fasting, your overall awareness is increased, your eyes are open, and you can really see God working much more clearly. You see and understand the spiritual truths in a greater way because your mind is dulled by the sluggishness of life. You ever come home from work? How many people here just have said it just recently? I am so tired all the time. Why am I so tired? Oh, I'm exhausted. Really, what it is, we're more mentally exhausted these days than we are physically, right? And I know there's people in this room that have said it. I've said it. I've come home and said, why are we always tired? That mental exhaustion. Because we're constantly trying to fight this. And we're forgetting to incorporate God. 
Starve this and see what God can do spiritually. In Exodus chapter 34, we read about Moses being called to Sinai. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, Moses took no water and no bread. Clearly, God miraculously kept him alive because a human being typically cannot survive much more than about three days without any water at all. And so the God did the miraculous with Moses. The beauty of it was that Moses, because of that fasting and that prayer and that faith in God, God's glory shined on Moses. So much so that when Moses came out of Sinai, his face was literally glowing with the glory of God. Aaron and the rest of the children of Israel couldn't even look at him. When Moses was speaking to him, he had to put a veil over his face because he carried the pure glory. Now imagine if we just had a little piece of that, if we captured a little piece of that glory, you know, that, that glow that you feel when, you come, when you've poured your heart out, you've had one of those pray-through experiences where you're snotting and crying and everything in the world is coming out of you, just all the stuff you deal with, and you get up and like a thousand-pound boulder has been lifted off of your shoulders. That's the glory I'm talking about. That's the glory that when you go talk to your family member the next day or your friend or you, you take that energy and you share it. That's the, it's a little tiny piece of the glory that Moses came down the mountain with and talked to Aaron. And we can have that. Throughout human history, people that were mightily used of God were first prayer warriors and fasters. All throughout, just go through the scriptures. My next example is Nehemiah. When Nehemiah heard of the destruction of the walls of Israel, it says in chapter, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, it says, <clears throat> I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah distraught. I, he was broken. The thought of Israel's walls being broken down was crushing to Nehemiah. He was broken and his first thought was to sit down and weep and fast and pray. And of course, we know the amazing story that Nehemiah dealt with. He stood on, what was he, on the, on the ladders with a sword in one hand and, a, and, the, and the, 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 the stuff for building walls in the other hand. <laughs> he had mortar in one hand and a sword in the other. And rebuilt, they rebuilt, they did a miraculous thing in the shortest period possible time. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem with all these guys attacking them and all these terrible things happening. And God worked through them because of his humility. People who accomplished great things through God's might did it with a sacrifice of their own flesh through fasting and prayer. Jesus asked to take up our own cross and bear it with him, but too often the modern church, and this is something I felt God gave me as well, too often the modern church wants to take up the cross with Jesus, but the cross that Jesus takes up is heavy and dirty and rough and jagged. And the modern church wants a cross made out of pillows or the cushions of an easy chair. But he wants the sacrifice. He wants the cross taken up, like the cross he bore. We look at old glory waving on a flagpole. We don't think of it as a piece of cloth flying in the wind. We don't think of it necessarily as just a symbol. Many of us, most of us look at it, and we, you immediately think of the wars that our, our soldiers have fought and the sacrifice and the, and, the, and the death and the sorrow that went along with the sacrifice in order to give us the freedom that we have here. The blood and the sweat and the tears that have given us that flag in this nation that God has blessed us with. It's literally a memorial to sacrifice. So we often look to do, for God to do wonders in our lives and we want miracles and healings for ourselves and our family and our friends, as I said. But are we willing to continue to do the sacrifices needed to see God move? And that's really where I wanted to take this. This month has been fantastic. January, and again, I'm speaking for myself. 
and for things that I've seen, I know pastor has some great testimony as well, but I, I don't want to stop at January. And, I, and I'm so convicted about that right now. I, a couple years ago, we did it for youth. We did every Wednesday night was a fast day for us. Sundown on Tuesday to sundown on Wednesday was a full 24 hours of, of, of sacrifice and, and, and fasting for us. And wonderful things happened in the youth group and continue to. But I was convicted for myself. I thought, why once a year? This isn't, this, I need a lifestyle of this because I'm really enjoying the benefits of what's happening. And so my real hope in this is to encourage you, pick a day, one day, two days, whatever it is, one part of the month. It doesn't matter. But make this a part of your life and you will be so blessed. But more so, abundant life is going to see amazing, miraculous, wonderful things happen. I know that in my heart. I'm conscious of the time, and I'm, I'm going to be wrapping up here real soon. I just wanted to share these last couple of thoughts with you. And thank you so much for bearing with me in my, my long message here. But we want, to, we want revival, I would think. Are we hungry for revival? Are we really hungry for revival? Or do we get complacent sometimes and just really like our church and we really like what we've got here? Right? I'm guilty of that. Sometimes you forget. But I know deep down we're hungry for, for revival because we know revival means that our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors and our community will have the opportunity to be saved, right? We want to see that happen. We don't just want to sit on our own salvation and go, thanks a lot, God, I'm all done. We want to reach the lost. But are we urgent, urgent about our loved ones that are lost? Or do sometimes we think, well, I can't really minister to them because it's, we're so close and they know me and there's just, so I know God will send somebody. I don't know. I think I'd like to be the captain of that boat because I'd like to lead them to full truth. You don't know how to witness or invite. You don't know how to talk to, to your family members about God. Then learn to make fasting and prayer a part of your life. Through that sacrifice and prayer, God will open doors. He will inspire your mind, and this is personal testimony, and he'll lead you to ways you can impact others. Maybe you won't be the one that teaches your loved one a Bible study, but something you say, a conversation that happens, God, you, that hearing, remember that extra hearing you get as you're, as you're worrying about that loved one, and that still soft voice comes and says, invite him, introduce him to Brother Kylie, or introduce him to, to Brother Dretzko, or introduce him to Brother Larson, or, or whoever it might be. And a conversation begins, and all of a sudden, then I'll give you a great testimony. There's a friend of mine that's been to church here quite a few times. He actually comes and helps us out. I love him like a brother. I would die for this guy. He's, he is my, one of my best friends in the whole world. He's not in the church, but he's a Christian man. He's a good man. And for years, I've been sharing the word with him and testifying to him and, and giving him everything I know to show him about God and talking to him and leading him. I keep telling him, Greg, you're... You're more apostolic than most apostolics I know. And he goes, okay, I don't know what that means, but, you know. But then I share with him what it means. So the other day, a couple of weeks ago, he was coming to help us at the church, and Brother Kylie invited us to go and have a quick bite up at Sunnyside. Now, this has been years now. I've known him for 20 years or better. And I just never could get it further. We sit down and start talking. Brother Kylie starts talking to him. Next thing I know, Brother Kylie's talking about Bible studies. And Greg says, yeah, I'd really like to have one of those Bible studies. When can we do that? (laughs) 
just like that. And so we're getting kicked off here, hopefully, uh, hopefully on Saturday. And this guy that is so close to me like a brother that I've loved and I care deeply about his family and I'm concerned about his soul. And we're going to be co-teaching him a Bible study. Because I didn't know how to do it. It didn't work for me. But God used Brother Kylie in that situation. And I'm so thankful. Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 1 verse, uh, excuse me, in chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 5, defraud ye not one, one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that may you give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontency. The uh, NIV version says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time. Now, this is talking about husbands and wives. Now, this is a relational thing. Uh, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come again t- together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so Paul's admonition to the church is to say, you need to get to fasting and prayer once in a while to learn how to have that control, to strengthen yourself. So in closing, I just want to say it simply comes down to this. There is no true glory, no miracles, and no greater levels with God without the pain of sacrifice. We've got to take up his cross. That means the way he lived, a life of prayer and fasting. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 and 39, uh, it's Jesus speaking, saying, whosoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And his message simply there is, is it, it's a tough road, and it is painful. Fasting is not fun. It's not enjoyable. But if you look at it through different eyes and through some of these things that God revealed me in this message, it might strengthen you just a little bit more to make it a real true part of who you are and then see what God can do for you. God bless you very much. If we could stand this evening, thank you so much for indulging me my beef jerky, and then my fasting story. We can have the musicians come on up. It's just very evident to me that God always, always, always honors true, pure sacrifice. And if there's one thing that is more important to us than just about anything, it's where our next meal's coming from. We're good eaters, especially here in the United States of America. And so he picks that, just like he, he chooses tongues as a way because it's the, the tongue is the most unruly member of our body, as the book of James tells us. He chooses that as the evidence of our, our submission to him. He chooses fasting, depriving ourselves of food because he knows that's one of our paramount things, survival, the instinct to eat and live. And he will bless us for it. In Jesus' name, Lord, we're thankful again, God for all that you have done in these last few weeks, Jesus. The things that we've seen transpire right in front of us, God. The miracles that have happened, the good works that have happened. I know there's more testimony coming from this, Lord. I know there's... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.